Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. You can read along with me. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. But the night, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they, were, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on a housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, a spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men um, who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of, of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And he invited them in and uh, lodged them. And on the next day, he went with them. And some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And Peter was come, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one or other, one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I, pray, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname, surname is Peter. 
He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Now, these are the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning in our study. Verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all of Judea and began from Galilee after the preaching which John preached, after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judged of the living uh, and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. This is our third week in Acts chapter 10. And for me, it's been such a great study. It's an important chapter for us as believers. And we don't want to rush through this chapter. We don't want to miss anything that the Lord has for us. So far, the Lord has revealed so much to us in this chapter. And, uh, you know, we've learned, uh, you know, in the early part of the chapter, what we can do to prepare our hearts to receive vision. And you'll recall, we learned, you know, the steps that we can take to prepare our hearts. They were first to get away, just to get away to a quiet place, take time to get away and just spend time with the Lord. And I think that that's something that's missing in a lot of lives of a lot of Christians uh, today. Many Christians wonder why they're not hearing from the Lord. And, you know, the reason is it's because the Lord uh, doesn't want to speak to you. No, that's not it. That's obviously not it. The Lord wants to speak to us. The reason is because we don't take time. We fail at times to prioritize just the importance of getting away, taking time uh, to get to a quiet place and preparing our hearts so that we can hear from the Lord, right? That we can receive from the Lord. Second, secondly, we saw... You know, that God often uses circumstances uh, of life. He uses just ordinary, everyday things to teach us, to lead us, to, to guide us. You know, he wants to use everyday events in our lives to illuminate, to explain, to, um, you know, reveal that vision that he's giving to us, that we can act upon it. 
The third thing that we learn in preparing our hearts to receive vision is that we need to be willing to wait on the Lord to confirm that vision. He's going to give us direction. He's willing to, to not only show us what we need to do, but also he's willing to confirm that vision to us. You know, it, it, it just ends in disaster. I think it's a, a certainty. It's just going to end in disaster if we just anxiously get out ahead of the Lord, get out ahead uh, of those things that he's trying to show us. We need to learn to wait on the Lord for his perfect timing. We also saw early in the chapter how we're not to look at other people and consider them common or unclean after God has cleansed them. And we're not to look at our own failures and flaws condemningly because God has cleansed us. He's washed us. He's redeemed us. He's filled us with the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, he's not angry with our failures. He rejoices over our growth. You know, and we noted that God's not waiting for us to be perfect, you know, before using us. He wants to use each one of us now. He wants to use us now. But the question is, are we available to him? Do we have a heart that wants to know him? Is our heart surrendered to him so that he can use us? And we looked last week at the faith of Cornelius. And we were encouraged to be persistent in our prayers. You know, God's delays aren't his denials. But God, you know, he does wait at times to answer our prayers so that we'll turn around him and praise him for those answered prayers, right? Instead of just talking it up to like, well, what a coincidence. I was just thinking about that. You know, we saw in, that God said in Isaiah 30 that waiting on him results in blessing and happiness in our life. And Cornelius uh, is an example to us of pressing in, praying with intensity and not giving up, right? We also saw how Cornelius was willing to believe God for big things, right? Even when others were probably saying, you know, that's just crazy. You're, you're, you're just, it's just silly to think that, Cornelius. And we received the encouragement last week that, uh, you know, we should believe God for big things, right? Because we have a big God, you know? We should attempt great things for God and expect great things from him because our God truly is great, right? There's none like him. And we talked about the need of working out our own salvation, right? Just like, you know, when we go to a gym and we work out, our muscles get bigger. In a similar way, when we work out our own salvation, when we take steps of faith as the Lord leads, we, it allows our faith in God to grow even bigger and expect greater things from him. And last week we took note, and I thought it was a special note, uh, of just how beautiful the humility of Peter was, right? As, as Cornelius honored him according to their customs. While at the same time, Peter honored, honored Cornelius by walking two days to come to him when he was sent for. And we talked about how we're to honor one another. As Christians, how we're to prefer one another, how we're to look out for each other. You know, not just our interests, but the interests of others. And we talked about how that's God's heart for his church. 
And lastly, in our review of Acts chapter 10 up to this point, right, we saw Cornelius and his friends and relatives. You know what? They had a teachable heart, right? They came with an expectation to hear from God, right? And they came with a predetermined attitude of obedience. Whatever it is that God was going to speak through Peter to them, they were determined to receive it, to receive God's word, and to immediately act upon it, right? And if we come to the study of God's word with an expectant heart, then I believe God will speak to us. You know, and again, this chapter has been so rich for me, so challenging uh, again for me. I hope it's been that way for you. But as we continue in this chapter, uh, starting in verse 34, we have what I believe is a condensed version. It's a synopsis of what Peter spoke to Cornelius and all those people that were gathered together there in his house on that day. Verse 34, it says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God spoke to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You know, Peter has come to the understanding that God is not a respecter of persons. Uh, At least he's coming to that understanding, right? The Jews thought that God created Gentiles just to keep the fires of hell hot. They were just fuel for the fires of hell. But now Peter's beginning to comprehend that God, you know, he's not just the God of the Jews. He's the God of the Gentiles also. And he's beginning to realize God's plan, as we pointed out, you know, in recent studies, the plan is always to be to save the Savior into the world, to offer salvation to the entire world, not just the Jews. And Peter now sees the fact that God doesn't favor one people group or one race over another. Peter's beginning to understand that this is the foundation of the gospel, that God's willing to accept anyone who turns from their sins and turns to God and bears fruit worthy of repentance. You know, it's on that person that God is willing to lavish grace upon grace on that person. And I tell you what, it's wonderful. Again, I'm not sure if we're totally, uh, if we totally understand how radical uh, this was. Peter at this time, he's beginning to understand uh, that God is wiping away generations of prejudice. You know, the indoctrination that he's gone through as a Jew, God is wiping that away. But what I think is really the most beautiful thing, the most radical thing about uh, these verses, I think it's found in verse 36, right? If you look at it, it says, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. Basically, what Peter is saying is that Jesus is God's gift to mankind. He was sent by God, You know, not by an angry God, but by a loving God. By a God who longs for a relationship with his creation. And when sin entered into the world, what happened? Mankind was immediately separated from God. And there's no amount of good works that any individual or uh, all mankind collectively can do to erase the stain of sin from our lives. So God, in his love, 
sent his son to be a sacrifice for sin. I mean, it's the greatest demonstration the world has ever seen. And it's when we place our faith in God, right? Believing that he died for our sins and that he was buried and he rose again the third day. It's then that we receive peace with God, right? Through faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches that it's through our faith in Jesus that we've been declared justified, declared not guilty uh, in the court of heaven. It says in verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows part, no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You know, just as a side note to our study. I think it's, you know, often I think it's worthwhile if we would think through the passages that we're looking at. And as you're reading them, maybe asking yourself, how would someone who doesn't hold uh, the same view that you hold uh, on that passage you're looking at, how would they view that passage? How would they interpret uh, that scripture? You know, and I think that this is one of those passages that I think it would be worthwhile to think it through. How would other people, inside and outside of the church, right, how would they interpret this passage? How do they understand what Peter is saying when he says that Jesus is Lord of all? You know, it seems to me that less and less people in the church today actually believe that Jesus is Lord of all. Right, that he's deserving of our everything. You know, I, I don't know if you've been watching the news um, this week. Uh, it's, it's crazy, you know. Uh, before I get to the news, uh, I'll just say this. You know, Tina and I, you know, we've re repeatedly seen through our years in ministry, you know, uh, people will come to you. Maybe they don't come to you. I don't know. But, you know, they're living a lifestyle that's contrary to the gospel. And they don't seem to be moved at all by their sin. And they even claim to be believers, but they openly act contrary to the teaching of our Lord. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you lovingly go to them and you want to bring correction, you know, in love and in humility. You know, you, you humbly want to attempt to show them where they're erring. And they say to you, hey, don't judge me. You know, God's okay with me just the way that I am, Right. And they continue in their ungodly practices. You know, it seems like the sacrifice of Christ and the fact that he's Lord of all has no bearing on, you know, the way they're going to act, the way that they're going to live. You know, we've dealt with young couples in the past uh, that weren't married, but they're living together, you know, and they're engaged in a sexual relationship outside of the marriage relationship. And you know what their response is? Hey, God accepts me just like this. You know, how could it possibly be wrong? You know, uh, God invented sex, you know, so it's got to be okay for us to love one another. Because we love one another, it's okay. And it seems like the clear teaching of the Bible is ignored by them. Because somehow, you know, God's rules don't apply to them. So this month, you know, it's Pride Month, right? And again, you may be uh, watching the news. You may be uh, aware of the controversy that's going on, you know, down there in Los Angeles. 
with the Dodgers organization honoring, you know, the gay community last Friday night. So how would homosexuals see these verses? You know, they might view this verse and, and say, uh, you know, God accepts me just as I am. And I think it's worth thinking through how others may see these verses. You know, but as we, but we need to understand as a church, as God's people, we need to understand if a person has homosexual inclinations or same-sex attractions, that doesn't disqualify them from heaven. You know, uh, a person's not disqualified from heaven because, you know, they're in, they have adulterous inclinations, right? God doesn't hate homosexuals. He hates the sin. God doesn't hate adulterers or liars or embezzlers or whatever. He hates the sin. And when we meet these people, we need to let them know it's not the sin, it's not a sin to have desires, right? It's not a sin to be tempted with same-sex attractions. It's not a sin to be tempted with adultery. It's not a sin to be tempted in area, in any area. And the reality is, hey, we're surrounded by people in and outside of the church who are tempted by sin. We're all tempted by sin. We're all tempted by sin. But the key is not giving into it, right? The, the temptation becomes a sin when we give into it, right? The key is running to Jesus when that temptation comes our way. The key is running to Jesus and letting him be Lord of all, right? We need to run to him and receive grace that, that he has for us to receive the strength that he has for us, that we need to look to him to keep us from the sin. You know, part of the Lord's Prayer, of course, Jesus never prayed the prayer because part of that Lord's Prayer is lead us not into temptation. The idea is not that God tempts anyone. As we pray according to that, that model, we're not saying, you know, God, don't, don't bring temptation my way. No, the contrary, it's an acknowledgement. It's saying, Lord, I'm not strong enough to endure that temptation. You know, please deliver me from it. People who are tempted by sin need to understand whatever the temptation may be, the temptation is not, uh, the temptation to sin is not what's wrong, right? The temptation is not sin. Following through with that temptation, that's when it becomes sin. Um, it's the act, right? Giving into that temptation. It's the act that needs to be repented of. And I think it was Charles Spurgeon who first said, I can't keep the birds from flying over my head, but I can keep them from nesting in my hair, right? Again, the, the, the idea is that when temptation comes, and it comes to all of us, acting upon that temptation, that's when it becomes sinful. Giving place to the temptation, that's when it becomes sinful. People who fall into sin, no matter what sin it is, as believers, we need to embrace them, right? We need to love them. We need to encourage them to run to Jesus. We need to be there for them. We need to pray for them. We need to, you know, display God's heart to them, right? And help point them to Jesus, right? We need to help them see God's redeeming power, his love, his grace, which is greater than all of their sin, 
We need to act this way towards those who are in trouble, right? We need to, you know, help those and love those that are struggling with sin so that God can be the Lord of their lives, so he can be the Lord of all. We need to communicate, right, to others what Peter told Cornelius and all those that were gathered in his house, right here in verse 35. Whoever fears the Lord and works righteousness is accepted by him, whoever it is, right? Well, what does Peter mean when he, when he speaks of working righteousness? I thought salvation was not of works, lest any man should boast. Righteousness, it just means rightness. That's all it means, right? The guys that are doing the right things before the eyes of the Lord. You know, that's the righteousness that Peter's talking about here. Those who fear God and do the right thing in his eyes are accepted by him, right? And going against the things that God has asked us to do, not fearing God, that's not working righteousness. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, if your eyes causes you to sin, pluck it out, you know? And uh, so what does that mean? Like, you know, if I'm sinning, I'm supposed to be, uh, you know, plucking my eyes out? No, of course not. That's not what it means, right? Because you still have another eye to sin with. Well, then let's pluck them both out and then we'll be free from sin. No, then I have a brain to sin with, right? Jesus is just uh, encouraging us to deal with sin decisively, drastically, if that's what it takes. This is God's heart for each of us, right? He's Lord of all, and he longs to be Lord in all of our lives, right? In verse 35, where Peter says, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The assumption is that the fear of the Lord has caused a person who God accepts to repent. To, return, to a turn from their sin, forsaking their sin, forsaking their old ways of life and giving their lives to the Lord completely and permanently, endeavoring now to live a life that's pleasing to God, right? The assumption is that it's not just lip service, right? It's a heartfelt, genuine uh, act. Well, verse 34 Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Man, I tell you what, I praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that his acceptance isn't based on age. You know what? Political persuasion. Uh, thank God his acceptance isn't based on the amount of money that you have in a bank account. You know, it's not based on your high school GPA. You know, I'm particularly thankful that the acceptance of God is not based whether or not you have a full head of hair. Uh, God shows no partiality. God, sh God accepts everyone who is old as well as young. God accepts everyone who's intelligent and those that are not so, right? And you can have all your hair and you can have none of your hair. He shows absolutely no partiality. God's not a respecter of person. And how sad it is when people in the, ch the church think that they are better than other people. It's a sad thing. You know, and then they act like they're better than other people. You know what? May we never act like we're better than anyone. 
God shows no partiality. Verse 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know what? May we as a church, may we as individual believers truly understand and fully embrace these truths and live lives that, you know, we live in in such a way that these truths are clearly evident within our lives. Verse 37, as we go on, the word which you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us, to preach to the people and to testify that this is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Wow. Wow. Man, I just wish I could have been there that day to hear Peter preach this to that group of Gentiles. You know, last Thursday night, I couldn't sleep. I often have uh, troubles sleeping. You know, there's just a lot going on in my mind all the time. And I have a hard time turning it off. But anyway, last Thursday night, you know, I was up late at night. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about this study and what the Lord would have me say. And as I was thinking about this passage, you know, I started to think about Christmas and being a child. You know, remember how Christmas was when you were a kid? Remember how exciting it was? Remember how uh, you used to look forward to Christmas? You know, I don't know about you, but man, the excitement that came, you know, at the end of every year, like the, the Christmas, you know, you, you didn't want to go to bed on Christmas Eve, but you knew that if you went to bed, Christmas was going to come sooner, you know? But now Christmas doesn't hold the same luster it once held for me. You know, don't get me wrong. I still enjoy Christmas. I still love seeing Tina and the kids and the grandkids open the presents that we got for them. You know, but I'm not as excited about receiving the presents. I'm not as excited about Christmas as I once was. You know, I have everything that I need. I still, I still love Christmas, but it doesn't hold that luster for me that it once did as a child. And as I was thinking about these things, I, I began thinking about the careers that I've had. You know, and, and I've been blessed by God. I've had three different careers in my life. And most people, you know, they, they have a career. You know, God has given me three different careers. My first career was, I was a land surveyor. And I tell you what, surveying was so exciting. You know, I literally looked forward to going to work Every day, because I knew that every day there was going to be something new that I was going to learn. 
You know, and it may sound strange to you, but when I was surveying in those early days, I would go to bed early because I knew that the work day would come sooner and I would be able to get to, to work. And, you know, after many years of surveying, I rose to the top of that field. You know, I'd, I uh, ran a survey crew. I was responsible for multi-million dollar projects. You know, I built housing tracks. You know, not like the way we build housing tracks around here where there's a hundred homes. And I had jobs where we were building a thousand homes. We were pushing roads through uh, places they've never been. I've built high rises. I've built golf courses, amusement parks. Uh, we did a lot of work uh, there at Knott's Berry Farm. We built dams, sewer treatment plants, right? I've built cities, literally. I've built cities, Rancho Santa Margarita. There was nothing there when we went in there. And we did that. You know, I was a pioneer. I took part in pioneering the satellite survey techniques that we use today. You know, I loved surveying. But as the years passed, you know, I, it lost some of the luster for me. Don't get me wrong. I'm still, I still love surveying. I love that part of my life, right? But much like Christmas, over time, a lot of that luster has been lost to me. I'm not as excited as it once was. Today, uh, you know, again, I love these things. I'm just not as excited. And I think that's the way it can be for us as Christians, right? When we first became Christians, hearing these things that we just read, that Peter preached to Cornelius in that household, right? Um, man, remember hearing what it was like? You first heard it. It was amazing. It was amazing. You couldn't get enough of it. You wanted to hear and know more. But now, maybe some of that luster's gone. Maybe it's because you've been a Christian for, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it may be. You've heard it. You know it. It's not as exciting as it once was. Man, I hope and pray that's not the case for any of us. Because what Peter is saying here in our verses is overwhelmingly exciting. Just try to imagine what it must have been like for, for Cornelius and all those people gathered in his house hearing it for the first time. I mean, try to remember back what it was like for you when you heard it the first time. I can see Tina and I sitting in the aisles at Costa Mesa listening to Chuck teach, drinking it in. Couldn't get enough of it. You know, and here... Peter speaks of Jesus being baptized, associating himself with humanity, verse 37, and being anointed by God, verse 38, and going around doing good, healing and delivering all who were obsessed by the devil and in need, verse 38. Remember what it felt like. Remember what it felt like when you first heard that Jesus was able and willing to deliver you from your sins, right? that he was willing to heal the mess you've made of your life, right? And, and all of that through the power of the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 38. And Peter declares to them that he personally witnessed these things, and he affirms that his testimony is true, verse 39. Then Peter speaks of the crucifixion of Jesus, how they killed him by hanging him on the tree, verse 39. And God raised him up on the third day, verse 40. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. 
And on the third day, he rose again. Jesus is alive. Man, remember the excitement that worked in your heart? I pray that excitement is still there, that the news that Jesus is alive is nothing that we get used to. Again, do you remember the excitement, how excited you were when your longing heart heard of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? Man, do you remember how excited you were when you realized that Jesus was alive and wanted to forgive you of your sins? The weight that was lifted off of you. Again, try to imagine the scene here as Peter proclaims these truths to Cornelius and his family and friends. Right Now, you want to take a moment and notice that Peter's message is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter never leaves out the resurrection when he's teaching, when he's preaching. Verse 40 says that God raised up Jesus on the third day and showed him openly. And not only did God raise up Jesus and show him openly, but Peter said that he ate and drank with him after the resurrection. Verse 41, Peter is an eyewitness of these things. And it says in verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people. Jesus has commanded each of us to tell others all about him. He's given the great commission to each of us. And Peter continues to say, and it's this Jesus who was ordained by God to judge, uh, to be judge of the living and dead. You know, there's a judgment day that's coming. That's part of Peter's message. There's a judgment day that's coming. And there's going to be when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And what I often think Christians fail to understand is there's coming a day when we all will stand before Jesus, right? And will give an account for what we've done for the kingdom's sake with the gifts and resources that God has granted to us, right? We'll have to give an account of our stewardship of the gospel, which has been entrusted to us. We need to be mindful of these things. He gave us the great commission. Verse 43 says, To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in these things will receive remission of sins. Believes in what things? Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's what Peter's saying. We have to understand as believers, when we read the word believe in the Bible, it's not referring to having some intellectual understanding or knowledge of a person or event. You know what? I believe guys landed on the moon. I know it happened, but I'm not trusting in it for anything. Biblical belief is when you rest the entire weight of your being upon that thing, right? It's a belief that affects your life. And not only is it a belief that affects your life, but it's a belief that affects your eternity. Biblical belief is to trust entirely. Not only uh, who and what you are, but putting every hope, every dream for the future in all of eternity 
into the Lord's hands, right? Hold nothing back for you to control, right? Everything that I am and ever hope uh, to be, I lay at the feet of Jesus. I'm all in. That's what biblical belief means. It means saying, Lord, here I am. You know what? Saved by your shed blood. You know, whatever you want to do with my life, it's yours. You have free reign. Do it. That's the belief that Peter's talking about here. That's the belief that Cornelius, as well as all his family and friends that are gathered together, are eager to exercise. He says, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Peter is saying a person uh, who believes, who's willing to turn from their sins and turn towards God, whoever is willing to surrender and give their lives entirely to God to live for him, that person will receive forgiveness, remission of sins. And again, man, I don't know about you, but I hear that even after 45 years of being a Christian, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. That is a wonderful message. And listen, my friends, it's the same message that we're to share with other people. It's the message entrusted to us to get out to the world. Well, hey, Gary, you know what? I can't go on mission trips like you. Maybe you can't. That may be. Maybe you're not able to cross the ocean and go on a mission trip. But can you cross the street? You know, we're not all called to be missionaries. We're not all called to be pastors or evangelists. But we are all called to care about those people that are dying all around us. Because Jesus cares for them. He died for them. Right? But what do I say? You know, I mean, it's so hard. What do I say? You know what? You just lovingly knock on the door and you say, hey, you know, do you know that the Bible says Jesus loves you? You know? Or you say, hey, uh, I was wondering, you know, I, I read my Bible every morning. I pray every morning. Is there something that I can pray for you for? And, you know, you just see where that conversation will take you after that. You know? I've told you before, sometimes when we go to a restaurant, you know, uh, whenever the server brings us food, I'll say, hey, you know what? We're going to pray for our food right now. And they usually say, good for you. I say, is there anything that we can pray for you for? You know, sometimes they say, no, that's okay. But other times, they tell you their entire life story. And they're a mess. And they desire your prayer. You know, it's a great chance right then to tell them that Jesus is God. He was born of a virgin, right? He lived among us. He did great things, right? He healed people. He saved people. He set people free. And he was crucified for our sins, taking our sins upon him, paying the penalty our sins deserved. And he was buried. And three days later, he rose again, right? And he was seen by over 500 people at one time, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 6. It wasn't just like, it's a story. No, 500 people at one time. And he offers forgiveness for sins to whoever will place their faith in him. That's, that's the message that God has entrusted to each of us to share with other people, right? And I honestly believe, and I've personally experienced it, if we'll share that message, you know what? God will bring people to us who are desiring to hear that message. People that God's spirit has been working on, like Cornelius and all his friends and family here in our story, 
right? Interesting side note, you may have seen it. If you've been uh, with us for any length of time and been paying attention during the studies, I'm always looking for the Trinity in a single verse. And you see it there in verse 38. Verse 38 says, God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit and power, right? Sometimes you run across those people that say, you know, there is no Trinity. The Bible doesn't teach it. Well, that's simply not true. The Bible clearly teaches that we serve a triune God. And you can turn them to this verse, Acts chapter 10, verse 38, and prove it to them. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. You know, what did that look like? What must that have looked like? You know, I think this is what I think we need. Right? I'm not only talking about you and me right now. I'm not only talking about Calvary Chapel right now. I'm talking about the church of Amer in America. We need the spirit to fall on us. You know, I don't want you to miss it. I am talking about you and me right now too. You know, I, I, we need the spirit of God to fall upon us. Right? God help us if these things have lost their luster for us. You know, God help us if these things don't stir within us. A shout of hallelujah. You know? That's not me shouting hallelujah. I'm not that type of person. But you know what? Man, my heart is welled up with excitement. We need revival individually as Calvary Chapel Truckee, as the church in America. I think each of us could use and need a personal revival, right? And then we need to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us into the lives of other people. How I desire that God's spirit would fall upon us right now. That each one of us would have ears to hear what it is that the Lord would speak to you right now. Right? I'm praying daily that God would revive these dry bones. I'm praying that he would revive our church in just a, a wonderful way. Right? And I'm not judging you. I'm not judging where your walk is by saying these things. I know wherever your walk is. Guess what? You could use an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You have fresh filling, right? That would leave you speechless and breathless. That's what I want to experience with God. And I want to see the Lord in such a way that I'm left speechless and breathless. Lord, I pray, let your spirit fall on us. Verse 45, And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, Peter's smart in bringing other guys with him, right? Remember, Peter's trying uh, to put together the pieces of what God's been trying to show him. Don't forget, earlier in the chapter, he's had this vision, right? Then he heard the Lord's voice uh, after the vision. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Then the second time, the Lord said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And as Peter is wondering about these things, the Spirit said to him, behold, Three men are seeking you to rise. Go down. Go with them. Doubting nothing. I've sent them. So what does Peter do? He grabs these guys and he says, Hey, you need to come with me. We're going to Caesarea. It's smart, if for no other reason, to have other witnesses with him in order to witness what the Lord's doing. Right? Hey, you guys, you guys see that? Was that the Lord or, or am I just seeing things? Am I crazy? He has these guys with him so that he can filter through them, 
through solid believers what he thinks the Lord is doing. You know, how I love to have brothers around me, solid brothers around me, in order to bounce ideas off of them. Hey, hey, you know, this is what I think the Lord is doing. This is what I think the Lord is saying. What are you sensing? What do you think about those things? You know, what do you, what do you think? Is the Lord in this? What direction are you feeling the Lord is leading us? You know, the Bible says in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. And, and for Calvary Chapel Truckee, during this time that we're looking for a new place to meet, you know, I need you guys to be involved. I need you guys to make phone calls. I need you guys to check out locations, you know, to come alongside me and pray. Then when we, when we go to these places together, you know, that you think maybe the Lord is leading us to, uh, we can together pray and just see what the Lord is going to do. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, right? It has to be a joint effort. I need to have others involved so I can bounce ideas off of you know, to just, you know, ensure what God is doing is what he's doing, that we're seeing it correctly. Verse 45 says, those of the circumcision who believed, these guys were Christians, says that they were astonished. As many as came with Peter, I think it's six guys that came with them, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. These men of the circumcision, they were just blown away seeing what God had done. Well, who are these guys? Who are these men of the circumcision? Were they part of that 120 that were there on the day of Pentecost that the, the Spirit of God fell upon that were, uh, you know, had the tongues of fire lighting on them? They're speaking in tongues. Or were they guys who had come to the Lord in the last 10 years since the day of Pentecost? Well, the answer is we don't know who these guys are. We don't, we don't know uh, but what we do know is that when they saw what was happening, they were amazed. But why were they amazed? And this is an important point. They were amazed because this is how the Holy Spirit fell on the believers at Pentecost. That's how the Spirit fell upon the apostles. Right? And this is what God is saying through all of this. Our salvation, the salvation of the Gentiles, isn't in any way less or inferior to the salvation of the Jews on the day of Pentecost. In fact, it's equal in every way to the salvation that the apostles experience. Right? We're not second-class citizens in the body of Christ since we're Gentiles. Right? What God is saying is that there's one salvation. God's not a respecter of person. If you're saved, then your salvation is exactly the same as the apostles. That's powerful. That's something that I think that we need to understand. The same work that God did in all the apostles is the same work that he's done in each of us, right? And these men of the circumcision that were with Peter they were amazed by this. There's an old saying that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And you know what? The Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. But we're all one in Christ Jesus. We're all the same. Verse 46 says, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Again, I want to point out to you, 
every place, tons is mentioned in the Bible is always praise directed to the Lord. It's never a message directed to men, right? The gift of tongues is always heavenward, praising God, magnifying God. Then Peter looks around at, at the boys. He sees this. He looks around at the boys that were with him, verse 47, and says, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who receive the Holy Spirit just as we have? What Peter is saying is, is are any of you guys going to say these guys aren't saved? Are any of you guys going to say that they can't be baptized after what you've just seen God do in their life? In verse 48, it says that he, Peter, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Don't you find that a little bit amazing? You know, Peter commands them to be baptized. How many of you go around commanding people to be baptized? Raise your hand. Yeah, you know what? This is as strong as I get. If you're a believer and you haven't been baptized, you need to get baptized, right? Let's get it done. Come on, right? But here, Peter is commanding them to be baptized. Well, I don't think I'm worthy. You know, I don't think I'm ready. Well, Peter would say, no. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to be baptized. Go and be baptized right now. That's what Peter would say. Maybe that was the command, but... Maybe the command was directed to those guys that came with Peter, right? You guys go and baptize them right now. You guys go and baptize them so that everyone will know that Gentiles are not second-class citizens, second-class Christians. You know, I've mentioned second-class Christians a few times now. What we need to understand, again, is that there's only one class of Christian, and that's those that are born again. We're one body. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, it says. And then they asked Peter and these guys to hang out for a few days. So just a few final thoughts as I finish up here. Thank you for your attention. Cornelius was a good man. He sought the Lord. And he gave generously of his resources. And and. You know, when God spoke to him, he obeyed immediately. Sometimes I think we look out into the world and we see bad people. And we say, those guys need Jesus Christ. But good people need Jesus Christ too, right? There are so many people in our lives that we would say, man, I, I love those guys. I just love those guys. They're great. They're such good people. Let's not overlook them. You know, good people need to hear about Jesus Christ. Good people need a Savior. Good people need to hear the gospel. There's just one class of Christian, those that are being born again, or that are born again. And in a similar way, there's only one class of non-believer, and that's those that are uh, going to hell. God has placed them in our lives so that we would boldly uh, proclaim the gospel to them. And as I always say, if we don't tell them the gospel, who will? It's up to us. Finally, I want to ask you, will you pray and ask God for revival? I mean, really press in and pray with intensity, like Cornelius prayed, seeking the Lord. Will you pray like Cornelius, 
and refuse to give up until that prayer is answered. You know, John Knox, I don't know if you know who he is. He's, he's, uh, he, he famously prayed, Lord, give me Scotland lest I die. You know, let's pray, Lord, send revival to me. Send revival to your church. Cause our hearts to burn again for you, lest I die. I mean, look at our nation, man, calling good evil and evil good. You know what? We need revival. But it has to start here. It has to start in the seat you're sitting in. That's where revival has to start. And call me naive. I don't know. But I honestly, with all of my heart, believe if God's people will cry out in desperation for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if we'll pray with intensity uh, and plead for the Lord to move, refusing to give up, settling for nothing less, I believe that God will answer and do something that will blow us all away in these last days. I believe it with all my heart. Man, and I would encourage you, let's press in. Let's cry out. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, God, I confess, Lord, I fall far short of what you desire for me. As a man, I fall far short. As a Christian, as a husband, as a father, Lord, I fall short. I thank you for the salvation that you've given me as I've turned my life to you. And Lord, I pray for revival. I pray for an outpouring of your spirit on me, on my wife, on my family, on our friends, our church. Lord, on this nation, would you pour out your spirit, Lord, in an unmistakable way and bring revival to, to us, Lord. Fill us to overflowing, Lord. Renew us, refresh us, restore us, Lord. Cause us to just stand in awe of you, hearing the gospel, even after being a Christian for so many years. Cause us to stand in awe of how great, how wonderful, how loving you are. Lord, forgive us for allowing the luster of our salvation to wane. The luster of the message of the gospel to wane as if it's something that's common. Forgive us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit afresh, Lord. Revive us. We, we need it, Lord. We ask it in your name, Jesus. We pray, amen.